everybody and welcome to the Going Upcast, your weekly feel-good podcast with movie reviews of brand new rock movies. I go on a little jaunt to eastern Washington. We talk about some musicals and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Andrew Logan, and let's dive right into it. This week we cover a lot of ground. It's a nice lengthy podcast for you guys to enjoy. I head out to Ellensburg to hang out with some friends, talk about the new Hobbs and Shaw, bought and played some new video games I'm going to talk about. I've been listening to a lot of musicals, so we're going to dive into that, especially Cats, including the trailer. There's a big old discussion about that a little later on, but I wanted to do some housekeeping notes right at the top of the hour. Number one, uh, Going Up Cast broke on iTunes, and I had no idea, so I don't know how long it's been broken on iTunes, but it is now fixed on iTunes. You can now listen to the Going Upcast on iTunes once again. I apologize for that. The whole catalog is there. Another of the reviews were lost, so those are all still there too. And also, if you like the Going Upcast, you can you know give it a rating on iTunes. Helps us climb the charts. Super awesome if y'all could do that. Uh, if you enjoy the Going Upcast, you can support us at goingupcast.com forward slash Patreon, where you can become a $5 patron and get access to the monthly live streams, which act as kind of a Q&A session and also gives me an excuse to play video games. Or you can go to goingcast.com forward slash store, where you may purchase a custom audiobook of your choosing and or a mystery book, which could be literally anything. Also, there's a brand new Going Upcast Facebook page. And I'm going to be using the Facebook page to uh, have links to some of the videos I've been shooting uh, for things. I'm going to have um, posts up there for people to make suggestions for songs of the week, for all sorts of stuff. So if you want to be an active member of the Going Cast community, go to facebook.com forward slash the Going Upcast, I believe is what it's called. Let me just real quick check that so I can give you the URL here. God forbid I send you the wrong fucking page. Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash going upcast. You will you will find the page there and give that page a little like and join the growing community over there that we got going on. But that's enough of me shilling. Let's get into the podcast. So last week was QuakeCon, and that meant there was a lovely little sale on Steam for various Quake id software bethesda games so i finally broke the uh the old wish list that i had building there for a little bit and bought me a couple of games that i've always wanted to take a crack at and those games were doom from 2016 and fallout 4 from whenever that came out uh i played both of these games for a little while you know a couple hours each just to get like a good feel for it uh see see if I would enjoy it. Fucking Doom hooked me in like a second. Like that game just kicks off right away. There's no, you know, heming and hawing or hemming and hooing or whatever the fuck. It just goes. And the soundtrack's super cool and all syncs up to the action of what your dude's doing. Doom guy. Who has a name um, that I can't fucking remember what it was. Flynn McTaggart. That's it. Doom guy's name is Flynn McTaggart. According to, like, the Doom novelization from, like, a fucking long-ass time ago. I heard about that on a YouTube video or whatever. But, um, his name is Flynn McTaggart. Anyway, that game's pretty fucking great. Um, it's been a long time since I played anything of that sort. Like, last time I played a game that felt like Doom was, like, Unreal Tournament Game of the Year Edition 2000. So it's been almost, what, 20 years? Um, and the, the gameplay feels a lot like that. A lot of leaping about... You know, you gotta you gotta kill the dudes with those up close melee head exploders 
uh, to get like health and stuff like that. And it's uh, really straightforward. It does exactly what it wants to do, and it's awesome. So, A+. Fucking rad-ass game. Rad-ass game. Fallout 4 is one of, the, one of the proud owners of one of my all-time favorite video game moments ever. I can think of, like, a couple of video game moments that will stick with me forever. Uh, and definitely Fallout 4 has it. At, like, apropos of nothing, I called my dude fuckface. Because I'm like, ah, that's a funny name. I'm just calling my dude fuckface. And then that goddamn robot turns around and goes, Mrs. Fuckface! <laughs> and I lost it. I laughed so goddamn hard. Turns out that robot has a list of like thousands of names, uh, including like all the um, like normal, well not normal, you know, like the basic names. Like my name's on the list. Like Andrew, I could have just gone with that and be like, hello Andrew. And I would have been like, oh, that's kind of neat. But it fucking calls me fuckface. And that's fantastic. I don't know anything else about the game. I've, I've played to that point where he calls me fuckface and I got to go talk to my kid. I was doing the um, the character creation there for a while. Um, you know, I love Monster Factory because McElroy's can do no wrong. And I, I tried for a while to, like, make my guy look like a monster. And it's kind of difficult. Um, like, the, the, the sliders are not that extreme. You can make them look a little weird. And I discovered, like, I could get the nose slightly off-center to the left and the mouth slightly off-center to the right. So something's not quite right going on there everything's a little asymmetrical so it's a little off but it's not nearly the monstrosity you can achieve and shit like bloodborne where you can make up you make toucan sam like you can just completely go fucking nuts in that game and it's awesome so that was that was a little limited i do enjoy the fact that you can pick like the the dad or the mom to play um i went with the uh with the mom because i the logic there was i thought i did a better job making the dude look creepy um, so I wanted to see that more. And it fucking dies. So that backfired completely. And in my head, I was like, it doesn't really matter what my guy looks like in Fallout. I'm always going to play in first person. Although it turns out you see your dude in like dialogue screens. So I guess it kind of matters. Um, my experience with the Fallout games is pretty limited. Uh, like in Fallout 3, I played until uh, you leave the vault. And then I just kind of stopped. Because my thing with like big open world games where there's like a million and one things to do is that I just start wandering off in a direction, forget what I'm supposed to be doing, get bored, and then quit. And I'm just like, ah, well, it's just, well it's, that, was a, that was a thing. Even with Doom, it's kind of like, it's pretty fucking linear, uh, but outside of, I guess Doom is simple in that it's like, you want to shoot some zombies and some demons and have a fucking rad soundtrack while you do it? This is that game. There's not a whole lot of the way of, like, story or motivation for your character in doom uh there's a bit more of that in fallout 4 and i'm vastly enjoying playing a dick like when that dude shows up and he's like you've been pre-selected to join the local vault i'm just like no 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 go away fuck off i don't want to talk to you my husband stands up and he goes come on it's just a little bit of paperwork let's just sign in he can get out of here and i hit no again and she's like what part of no do you not understand and he's like fine i'll do it stubborn it reeks of Telltale. Remember them when your choices didn't make a fucking difference? It's more entertaining, for sure. And I'm just like, fuck you, I don't want to do it. But it happens anyway, so it's like, I have no agency in this world. I guess it kind of makes sense because the beginning has to go down a certain way to kind of kickstart the game. You know, your, your partner dies and your baby's taken. So you got to go save your baby. I'm pretty sure it's the plot of this game. Um, and I'm excited to get there. 
I know I'm gonna have like I'm gonna have enough fun in Fallout 4 to justify me spending I think it was like $16 it was like fucking nothing and it got all the DLCs with it too because it's the game of the year edition because fucking whatever um but I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. It's been a it's been well not a little while. I'm also playing the shit out of Elder Scrolls Online. I also got the DLC for that um, elsewhere. But I'm still like, what level am I? I think I just dinged to level twelve. Level cap is forty. So like I got some I got some shit to do. Um, but I'm hoping that uh, if I like you know get some new gear and all that stuff, I'm gonna head on over there. That kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun. Do enjoy video games. But I was enjoying Doom and Fallout 4. What about y'all? Any new games that y'all are playing that has your attention? I know there's a lot of great stuff coming down the pipeline. And we haven't heard a whole heck of a lot in terms of uh, the old Pokemans in a little bit. But God knows they're coming down and it's going to be... It's going to be a thing. I keep going back and forth on Pokemon. Like, yes, I'm probably going to get it. But I'm getting... I'm getting this feeling, getting this feeling, it's, I, I don't think it's going to be very good, I hope I'm wrong, but I guess we'll find out, but if you guys are playing any games and you want to share what you're playing, feel free to email me at goingcast.gmail.com and let's talk about it, let's talk about them video games, but in the meantime, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Another week, another batch of Harry Potter chapters. We've got chapter 19, The Silver Dale. Chapter 20, Xenophilius Lavagood. And chapter 21, The Tale of the Three Brothers. How many brothers? Three. And with this highlight chapter moment of special nisitude comes to us from chapter 19, The Silver Dough, where the first of my fucking roulette wheel of random characters to replace the shit dick known as Ron first makes their entrance. Let's take a listen. Harry had no strength to lift his head to see his savior's identity. All he could do was raise a shaking hand to his throat, feel the place where the locket had gone, had cut and tightened into his flesh. It was gone. Someone had cut him free. Then a panting voice spoke over his head. Are you mental? Nothing but shock of hearing that voice could have given Harry the strength to get up. Shivering violently, he staggered to his feet. There before him stood Gilderoy Lockhart, fully dressed but drenched to his skin, his hair plastered to his face, the sword of Grimmer in one hand and the horcrux dangling from its broken chain in the other. Why the hell? panted Gilderoy, holding up a horcrux that swung back and forward on a shortened chain in some parody of hypnosis. Didn't you take this thing off before you died? <laughs> I thought I taught you better. Harry could not answer. The silver dough was nothing. Nothing! Compared to Gilderoy's reappearance, he could not believe it. Shuddering with cold, he caught up the pile of clothes that lay still lying around the water's edge and began to pull them on. As he dragged sweater after sweater over his head, Harry stared at Gilderoy, half expecting him to have disappeared every time he lost sight of him. Yet he had been real. He had just dived in the pool and saved Harry's life. It... It was you? What the fuck? What are you doing here? Harry said, he like pulls out the script. It's supposed to be that right-headed dipshit that saves me. I have no idea what the fuck's going on. <laughs> well, you see, the narrator hates that fucking character with it every fiber of his being. So he wrote me into the story instead. His teeth chattering, his voice weaker than usual due to his near strangulation. <laughs> well, yes, of course it was me. Three brand new chapters of Harry Potter and the land every Wednesday night, roughly around before the sun goes down. And you can listen to them all at goingcast.com. But for now, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. A while back, we discussed my love of musical theater. We had a special guest on. I have since talked about musical theater 
more than once. It's fantastic and it's wonderful. And every now and then, uh, something regarding musical theater brings that whole genre of entertainment to the forefront of popular culture. And a couple weeks back, we had a trailer drop for a movie adaptation of the mega musical Cats, written in 1981 by Andrew Lloyd Webber, the absolute pinnacle of musical theater creation, having penned such incredible things as The Phantom of the Opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, Cats, and a bunch of others, including the School of Rock musical, which is based on the movie. Um, Cats... So I'm going to I'm going to talk a little bit about the trailer, but I really want to focus on the musical and the story. So if you know what you're looking at, the actual trailer for the movie kind of shows you the whole thing. The entire movie is basically represented in that trailer. If you just listen to the original Broadway recording without seeing it on stage, uh, chances are you'll be very confused because the actual musical is more or less just a series of, hi, here's a cat. This is what the cat's name is. And here's what that cat's all about. And then rinse and repeat for like 30 songs. And then the musical's over. There doesn't seem to be a grander plot. So I am straight up going to tell you the plot of cats. And then we're going to use that knowledge to discuss the trailer. Uh, just real quick, I didn't mind the trailer. Um, I know a lot of people think the, the actors look weird, but that's exactly what they look like on the stage productions. So it's actually being super faithful. Like, that's just what they looked like on stage. Yeah, it was weird then, but it'd be even weirder if it was just like a bunch of actual cats voiced by these people. So as far as that's concerned, I don't mind it a bit. I think, I think what they did there was a good call. I think it's the right creative move. I'm not. I'm not bad mouthing that. I also think the cast is great. So everything about the, the the film adaptation is great. So nothing is wrong there. Where the shit's wrong is with the the plot itself. So let's get started. <clears throat> Act one: When cats are maddened by the midnight dance. <laughs> what does that even mean? After the overture, which is okay. This is for the record. The cats gather on stage and describe the Jellicle tribe and its purpose, which is uh, told about in the song Jellicle Songs for Jellicle Cats. If you listen to this musical or see it performed live on stage and take a shot every time they say the word Jellicle or cats, you'll be dead before the first song is over. It's, it, it's, it's ludicrous how many times they say these words in this musical. Anyway, I don't know what Jellicle means. Let's see if we can find out. Um, Jellicle Cats. It's a type of feline first introduced in the, um, the original T.S. Eliot light poetry book, Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. So, it's a type of cat. Alright, let's just, let's just move on. It's all fucking nonsense anyway. The cats, who break the fourth wall throughout the show, that's kind of nice, I like it when they interact, uh, then notice that they are being watched by a human audience and proceed to explain how the different cats of the tribe are named, as is demonstrated in the song, The Naming of Cats. This is followed by a ballet solo performed by Victoria to single, signal, single, to signal the beginning of the Jellicle Ball. So Victoria is the, air quotes, main character. So when you see the trailer, you'll see like an all-white cat 
who is being played by um uh she's she's a relatively new name uh francesca hayward or francesca however you want to pronounce it english ballerina and principal dancer of the royal ballet at the covenant garden in london so phenomenal dancer top tier world world class um phenomenal dancer uh, i imagine that she will absolutely crush it so very cool very excited about that anyway back to the uh back to the thing signaling the beginning of the jellicle ball uh the invitation to the jellicle ball that's the song at this moment monk strap the show's main narrator explains that tonight the jellicle patriarch old deuteronomy will make an appearance and choose one of the cats to be reborn in a new life on heaviside lair exactly what that means I have absolutely no idea. That's the thing, right? In the trailer, it's like, believe in, like, a chance for another life. And basically, the entire musical is, here's a list of cats, and they're all trying to make a play for getting a new life. Like, that's that's the story. But it doesn't really tell us. I'm guessing they, like, go off and die and are reincarnated as new cats. I'm guessing? It's never really kind of focused on. Which is weird, because the trailer is, like, really fixated on that part of the musical. Which I guess is kind of the point of the cats. These cats want to better themselves, I presume, and this is like their way to do it. And one person is cho- one cat is chosen a year from old Deuteronomy um, to get reborn into a new life. But exactly how that happens, what that specifically means for the cats, it doesn't go into details. I suppose it doesn't really matter. But if that's what your entire musical is about, I'd like a little clarification. The first contender Monkastrap introduces is Jenny Annie Dots. Also, quick side note. Probably the best part about cats is the names of these fucking cats. They're fantastic. And you'll hear some great ones in a little bit. Anyway, Jenny Anydots is the old Gumby cat. A large tabby cat who lays his round all day, but come nighttime, she becomes active, teaching mice and cockroaches various activities to curb their natural destructive habits. Just as Jenny Anydots finishes her song, the music suddenly changes, and Rum Tum Tugger makes his extravagant entrance to the front of the tribe in the song, The Rum Tum Tugger. He is very fickle and unappeasable, quote, for he will do as he do do, and there's nothing do, and there's no doing anything about it. As he do do. <laughs> Rum Tum Tugger is fantastic. I also think it's like a horrible sex act. You know, it's like, I'm going to go home and do the old rum tum tugger, if you know what I mean. <laughs> ah. uh, in case you're wondering, rum tum tugger is being played by Jason Derulo in the um, in the movie. And if you actually listen to that song and you know anything about Jason Derulo, who I believe is like a hip-hop, maybe? I don't know. I don't know anything about Jason Derulo. But there's a lot of fast lyrics in the rum tum tugger song. Seems a natural fit. Good stuff. Then, as Rum Tum Tugger's songs fade, a shabby old gray cat stumbles out wanting to be reconciled. It is Grizabella, as all the cats back away from her in fear and disgust and explain her unfortunate state in the song Grizabella the Glamour Cat. Grizabella leaves and the music changes to a cheerful upbeat number as Bustopher Jones, the fat cat in a coat of fastidious black, is brought to the stage in the song Bustopher Jones, The Cat About Town. Bustopher Jones is among the elite of cats and visits prestigious gentlemen clubs. Are they cat gentlemen clubs? Are they normal gentlemen clubs? We don't know. But either way, Bustopher Jones is going to bust tonight. <laughs> He's going to Bustopher Jones all over that shit. <laughs> what a name. Suddenly, a loud crash startles the tribe and the cats run off stage in fright. 
Hushed giggling sounds signal the entrance of Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser, a pair of nearly identical cats. They're mischievous petty burglars who enjoy causing trouble around their human neighborhood in the song Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser. As they finish, they are caught off guard and confronted by the rest of the cats. I dare any of you motherfuckers to read the line I just said in one go. Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser. Like, fucking, yeah. Yeah. I do, I do this shit for a living. Anyway. Finally, the jellical patriarch, Old Deuteronomy, arrives before the tribe and the song Old Deuteronomy. He is a wise old cat who has, quote, lived many lives and is tasked with choosing which jellical will go to the heaviside lair every year. Cats put on a play for Old Deuteronomy in the song The Awful Battle of the Peaks and the Policies, telling a story of two dog tribes clashing in the streets and subsequently being scared away by the great rumpus cat. A somber morale of, from Old Deuteronomy is interrupted by a second loud crash, presumably from McCavity, which sends the alarmed cats scurrying. After a quick patrol for McCavity, Old Deuteronomy deems it a false alarm and summons the cats back as the main celebration begins, the Jellicle Ball, which is a totally instrumental song, which is probably the best instrumentation in the entire musical. Presumably it's a, like a nine minute dance number. In which the cats sing and display their Tur, what is that? Terp shield. Oh God! All right. Well, I do this for a living, and I'm immediately tripped up by a word I've never seen before. Terpshishorian, terpshishorian powers. I think it means dance, dance powers. I think it's dance powers. Let's just roll with that. During the ball, Grizabella reappears and is once again shunned by the other cats because they're dicks. Grizabella, the glamour cat, reprise. While old Deuteronomy looks on sadly. She tries to dance along, but her age and decrepit condition prevents her from doing so. Memory prelude. That's right. Jennifer Hudson is going to play Grizabella in the musical. And, I mean, this musical's best song is Memory. It's the most well-known song. I listened to the whole thing today. I'm telling you, it's the best song in the musical. And the best bit of that song is actually in the fucking trailer. So if you just want to hear like what this musical is going to have to offer in terms of a vocal performance, it's in the trailer. Jennifer Hudson fucking crushes that bit. That's the best bit of the whole fucking musical vocally. So you heard it. You, that's it. You like, you don't, there's nothing more to be gained from the musical. It might be good, you know, like there's, if, if it's done right, it's probably going to be pretty good. But if you're going there for, like, stunning vocal performances, I'm telling you right now that the best vocal performance of the entire movie is in the trailer. Because there's no other song really worth listening to. And there's no other song that really has, like, that kind of powerful moment. That's, like, that's the moment. That is the moment in Cats the Musical is that fucking bit. Um, and she fucking, she crushes it. Anyway, that's the end of Act 1. Act two, why will the summer day delay? When will time flow away? After the Jellicle Ball, old Deuteronomy com contemplates what happiness is, referring to Grizabella. However, the cats do not understand him, so he has Jemima, or Syllabub, depending on the production, the youngest of all Jellicles, singing in simpler terms, the moments of happiness. Presumably, we could guess that Jemima uh, was chosen to be reborn couple of years prior, as they are the youngest of the Jellicles, meaning that they were probably reborn in the cycle not that long ago. Gus, short for asparagus, 
shuffles forwards as the next cat to be introduced in the song Gus the Theater Cat, being portrayed by Ian McKellen. It's almost like it was created for him. He was once a famous actor, but is now old and suffers from palsy, which makes his paws shake. I'm not saying that Ian McKellen is old. It's just like, this cat did like Shakespeare productions. In the musical, it's like canon that the cat did Shakespeare. And I'm just like, oh, fucking Ian McKellen is the only choice for that. He's... He's the... I fucking love Ian McKellen. He is accompanied by Jalorum, Jelly Lorum, his caretaker, who tells of his exploits. And Gus then remembers how he once played the infamous pirate Captain Growl Tiger, a.k.a. the Terror of the Thames, Growl Tiger's last stand. Gus tells the story about the pirate captain's romance with Lady Griddlebone and how Growl Tiger was overtaken by the Siamese and forced to walk the plank to his death. Siamese cat. Siamese cat. It's not a horrible race thing out of nowhere. Just being like, he was overtaken by those filthy Siamese... Back in the present, after Gus exits, Skimbleshanks is seen sleeping in the corner in the song Skimbleshanks, the Railway Cat. He is the cat who is unofficially in charge of the night train to Glasgow. Skimbleshanks is considered vital to rail operations, as without him, the train cannot start. Within his song, a whole steam train engine is assembled out of objects in the junkyard. With a third crash and an evil laugh, the most wanted cat, McCavity, appears. He is the so-called Napoleon of crime, who always manages to evade the authorities. McCavity's henchmen capture old Deuteronomy and take off with the patriarch in tow. As Munker Strap and his troops give chase, Demeter and Bombalarina explain what they know about McCavity in the song McCavity the Mystery Cat. When they are finished, McCavity returns disguised as old Deuteronomy, but his cover is blown by Demeter, and he ends up in a fight with Munker Strap and Alonzo. Who the fuck is Alonzo? This is the first time we've heard of him. McCavity holds his own for a time, but as the rest of the tribe begins to gang up and surround him, he shorts out the stage lights and escapes in the resulting confusion. After the fight, Rum Tum Tugger calls upon the magician Mr. Mephistopheles, um, which is horribly misspelled. The talk about Mephistopheles is, is a, it's what the spin is, um, but here it's Mistopheles. So it's kind of, kind of shortens it up. And the song, Magical Mr. Mistopheles. Known as the original conjuring cat, Mr. Mistopheles can often perform feats of magic that no other cat can do. He displays his magical powers in a dance solo and then uses them to restore the lights and bring back Old Deuteronomy. Now the jellical choice can be made. Before Old Deuteronomy can announce his decision, Grizabella returns to the junkyard and he allows her to address the gathering. Her faded appearance and lonely disposition have little effect on her song Memory, which is the, the fucking song in the trailer. With acceptance and encouragement from Jemima and Victoria, the main character of the whole thing, her appeal succeeds and she is chosen to be the one to go to the Heaviside Lair and be reborn into a new jellical life, Journey to the Heaviside Lair. A tear rises from the pile of junk carrying Grizabella and Old Deuteronomy partway towards the sky. Grizabella then completes the journey on her own. Finally, Old Deuteronomy gives his closing speech to the audience, the addressing of cats, and the show comes to a close. Now, Old Deuteronomy is being played by Judy Dench, I believe. Let me just confirm that. Yes. James Corden is Bustopher Jones. Uh, Idris Elba is McCavity. Jennifer Hudson is Grisabella. Ian McKellen. Or Idris Elba, yeah. Ian McKellen is Gus the Theater Cat. Taylor Swift is Bumble Arena. Rebel Wilson is Jenny Anydots. And anybody else of note? Really? Uh, Robert Fairchild plays Munkerstrap, the narrator, um, and he is just a ballet dancer, according to Wikipedia. Um, I have a very strong feeling um, that the vast majority of the the like the not big name uh, members of the uh, of the cast here are just incredible dancers, which is what you should do, like. Sure, get get a couple big names. As long as they're like Jennifer Hudson is a big name, but she's also obscenely talented. 
So good job there. And Francesca Hayward is obscenely talented, but she isn't a big name, but she plays the, like the main character. See what I'm saying? It's got to have the balance. Like James Corden, like I don't really know much about his show um, or anything like that. All I know is like his experience with like, he hosted the Tonys and I thought it was funny. And he has this deep seated love of musical. And he's been in a lot of musical movies. Like, he lives this shit, and I, I'm like, I love that. Judy Dench is incredible. I don't know anything about Jason Derulo. Idris Elba is a phenomenal actor. Taylor Swift is fantastically talented. Rebel Wilson is super funny on a good day, and it's just like, it goes on and on. Like, casting isn't this movie's problem. The plot is just super fucking bizarre. And I was just I was just thinking about it today. Like, like a lot of people are dumping all over this movie because of the trailer. And to be fair, I mean, it's not a great musical. I will say that. They're going to do the best they can with the source material, uh, but it's just not that great. So, I just wanted to give you guys a head, like, that's what Cats is. That's what you can expect if you go see this movie on December 20th, you know. And the whole thing takes place over, like, a single night. So, if you go back and, like, watch the trailer, you'll be able to, like, ID certain cats. You'll be able to know, basically, that the entire plot is shown to you in this trailer, which coincidentally makes it a bad trailer. Like, you can see, like, there's the bit where Grizabella is, like, slunking away from the crowd, and then there's the bit with fucking, um, Rumbo Jerry and Mipplewitz or whatever the fuck their names were. I don't have it pulled up anymore. And it's just, and there's fucking, yeah, it's just, it just goes on and on, and it's, it's gonna be fine. But I do want to take another minute uh, to talk about two other musicals that I uh, listened to. Um, I'm going to talk about the third one first because it will take me the least amount of time. And that is Frozen the Musical, uh, which is okay. I would say it's safe to say it's essentially the movie. There are a couple of additional songs uh, in there that were like written for the, uh, the musical. And I kind of enjoy those songs because... It feels like natural additions to the story. It feels like it kind of fleshes out some of the story a bit more and adds some details and gives you kind of like that in t inside look of our characters are thinking at any given time. So it does kind of flesh it out a bit more. So that's uh, pretty, pretty nice. And the vocal performances are at least in the original Broadway recording, are really good. So that's that's all well and good. And the other one I'm hesitant to talk about because it's, you know, you listen to Cats, you'll probably leave that experience um, maybe confused. But overall, it's a fairly happy musical. Uh, Frozen, absolutely, happy ending. That's what Disney's all about. Hades Town is phenomenal, but it is not a happy story. It's the classic... Uh, tragic love story of uh, Orpheus and Eurydice from ancient Greek tales. Um, real quick. Real super quick. Orpheus loves Eurydice. Hades is like, I'm gonna get me some of that. Takes Eurydice down to hell. Orpheus is like, I don't fucking think so. Goes to hell. Sings a song to Hades. Hades is like, alright, you can leave, but you can't look at Eurydice until you get out of here. They almost make it out of there. Orpheus looks at Eurydice and she's sent back to hell and that's the end of the story. It's, that like, I know it's not really impactful when I do it like that, but if you listen to the entire musical, you're gonna you're gonna feel some emotions, uh, and that's essentially what the plot is. Um, 
the music styling in uh, in this musical is very cool. It's said here it is in a Great Depression era inspired post-apocalyptic setting. Uh, and it kind of sounds like that too. It's got this very kind of turn of the century bluesy vibe. Um, just imagine like the first song in Hercules for like the whole fucking musical. And it's uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. What's nice about this um, soundtrack and Cats is that they're both what is called a sing-through musical. Which basically means there are no lines of spoken dialogue in between songs. The whole thing is told to you in song. Hamilton is another sing-through musical. Which means if you listen to the soundtrack, you hear everything they say on stage and get the entire plot. Which is phenomenal. I love I love that about sing-through musicals. Uh, Les Mis is a sing-through musical. Phantom of the Opera is a sing-through musical. Town is a sing-through musical. And you get you get the whole plot. So that's uh, that's very good. The one thing I will say for Town is that when they performed a song at the Tony Awards, they performed Wait For Me, which is a fantastic song, probably the best song in the musical, but is absolutely not indicative of the whole musical. The entire musical is a pretty is a bummer. It's 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 a bummer of a musical. Like it'll it'll make you sad listening to this shit. But wait for me is like the one upbeat hopeful song in the whole musical. So the fact that they showcased that, it's like this musical's about love and hope and stuff. And I'm like the fuck it ain't. It's about sadness and death and horrible shit. Um, but it is worth listening to. You can find the soundtracks. To all three of these musicals that I just spent the last, like, fucking half hour talking about on Spotify. Uh, and that's how that's how I listen to them. If I had to rank these, I mean, Town is fantastic. It'll make you sad, but it's wonderful. So, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta hear it. It's really good. Um, and, you know, Cats is, Cats is fine. Honestly, just wait for the fucking Jennifer Hudson version of Memory to come out, and then you're set. Um, I know a lot of people are like, the definitive version is Barbara Streisand. And th- there isn't a bad version of the song out there. Original Broadway recording, the one they did for, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber's 50th anniversary concert, Barbara Streisand. Like, they're all decent versions of the song. It's not a tough song to sing. You just gotta nail that one bit that's in the trailer. And Jennifer Hudson absolutely nails that one bit. So her version's probably just gonna be just as good as everybody else's. So, there you go. And, no, like, fucking memory outclassed fucking let it go in my opinion like yeah i know i just i enjoy that song better i think memory has a bit more going on like uh, let it go is all about uh being comfortable in your own skin and finally being free from the burdens of society and being who you were always meant to be and stuff like that and memory is all about like you know i guess looking back on the good old days i don't know what i'm saying anymore i like memory a lot anyway thanks for listening to me ramble about fucking musicals for so long um sorry this took so long it's just it's it was it's it's on my mind, and I always I always love talking about uh, musical theaters. I'm gonna be listening to some more musical theater stuff, but uh, for now, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. In my ongoing efforts to get out there and actually do things in the world, I decided to take a little jaunt and visit some old friends of mine out in Ellensburg, Washington, which is a town way out there in central. Uh, It's like 200 miles out of Seattle, crossing the Cascades. It was beautiful. Uh, Basically, just 
tickling the ivories into into eastern Washington. And the the landscape dramatically changes. Once you get past the mountains, the whole thing kind of comes a series of brown rolling hills and a lot of flat plains and a lot of wind farms and houses every like hundred or so miles apart from each other. Like it's very spread out. And Ellensburg itself is a predominantly college-based town where half of its population vanishes during the summer because all the students go home. But it's very quiet and very quaint. Uh, it felt like I was back in the Old West because all the, all the main stores fronts were on one street and they all had those signs that kind of squeaked in the wind, you know? And you, you can almost just hear the, the, uh, the buckled boots just like uh, kind of thumping their way down the pavement there. And everybody had a southern accent even though we're in Washington. Uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun out there. We played some D&D. We got some booze. I uh, was able to spend some time with my friends and it was just, it was a grand old time. I had a, I had a blast. Um, traffic too wasn't that bad, but the traffic from, I don't know what the fuck was happening, but I was like, you know, still on 90, you know, coming into the city. It's like a two lane highway. Um, speed limit says, you know, 70, but people are zipping. People are plowing their way through. And then just kind of out of nowhere, we just had like some slowdown periods. No construction, no accidents, just people driving slowly for some reason. And it really confused me and I didn't quite get it. Um, on my way back, I, uh, I swung off into Snoqualmie Pass, which is a very popular skiing destination in Washington. It's like, I don't know, 30 minutes outside of Seattle. So it's, it's very accessible. And um, right now it's... For some reason, there's a lot of people up there. Uh, there was a place called Drew Brew, D-R-U, like brewery, um, up there in the uh, up there in the mountain, and I uh, got me a six pack of their stuff. I haven't tried it yet, but um, you know, I was in the area and I was like, I'll just pick up your finest wares. Let me get a gander what you got going on there. There's a fuck ton of people up there, and I have no idea why. Like, I guess there's hiking and stuff, but. Way more people up there than I thought. There were more people up there on Snoqualmie Pass than there were in the city of Ellensburg. So, a lot of people. A bunch of gorgeous homes. All about five feet apart from each other. Like, these houses were cook they're cookie cutter homes. And they're huge. They're these monolithic mansion style houses. And like this horseshoe shape. And there's like 12 of them. And they're all just like, bam, right there. And like, I'm looking at these houses going like, these must be obscenely expensive. There is virtually nothing up there in the way of like a job. There's a museum, there's a brewery, there's a grocery store, and there's an inn. And like, this is it. So I'm like, these people who live in these houses are like retirees or work from home. Like, I don't, I don't, there's no, like, you're, you're so secluded from everything. Like, you're a good 20 minutes from like the next nearest town that might be large enough to support your, to support any kind of like workforce. So that was, that blew my mind. Uh, but it's, it's very beautiful up there. And, um, it's just a stone's throw away from where my, uh, my brother lives. Uh, so I went over and hung out at his place for a bit, got some more booze. Uh, we went to a place called No Boat, No Boat, uh, brewery over there in Snoqualmie. Uh, massive warehouse like building. Uh, with some tasty booze. It was some good beer. And we went back to his place and played Ultimate Alliance 3, which is a ton of fun. I enjoyed it. It's kind of campy. It's kind of quirky. And it reminds me of the other two Ultimate Alliance games, which I absolutely loved. 
So that gets my recommendation. Uh, according to him, the game's main story isn't very long. Uh, so I mean, maybe you want to wait for it to go on sale or something. I don't know. You know, it's your money. You can use it when you need it. Call J.G. Wentworth. This podcast is not sponsored by J.G. Wentworth. And then I, uh, I hit the road. Continued driving back towards uh, back towards Seattle. Um, I had a. Uh, I was reminded um, before I hit the road, uh, leaving my uh, leave my brother's place, that it was Seafair weekend, which I've already uh, talked about and I forgot about. So my I was advised to not take ninety, but I was like, how bad could it be? And I took ninety. Um, the slowdown was noticeable. Um, I think it added maybe fifteen minutes to my total uh, commute, but it was totally worth it. Because seeing the the fucking armada of ships just in the water, like fucking, they were like bumping into each other. It was like sardines packed in there. It was a ridiculous amount of ships. And the number of people like standing up, like you'd see a little boat, like a little two person power boat. It's got like a dozen people on it. Like there was so many people and the blue angels flew right over my car twice when I was on the highway, it was awesome. If you don't know who the Blue Angels are, they are the premier uh, stunt flying organization of the United States Air Force. The Blue Angels are fucking killer. They can they can pull off shit in an airplane that would make Hal Jordan jealous. That would make Maverick spin over in his aged coffin, even though he's not dead. Um, they pulled off some some sick ass stunts. Breaking that sound barrier, fuck that shit was rad. I loved it. It was super loud, too. Um, and not at all distracting uh, to commuters. But that was very cool. And then the rest of the journey was was great. I had this weird moment where um, I was pulling off the highway uh, for the last stretch where it was just like, you know, off-roads um, back, to, back to my place. And I had this weird moment where I, I was like, thank you, highway. I just drove almost 300 miles. Actually, it would be almost 400 miles, right? Yeah, it was like, it's almost 400 miles, I think. And the highway, like, fucking got me to and got me from. So thanks to thanks to my car and the road beneath my wheels, I was able to make that journey and do it all in one piece and make it home safe. So I had this, this connection moment with the highway. I was like, thank you, highway, for bringing me home. You got me to my destination and you got me home safe. That's what a good highway does. But uh, it, was, it was pretty good. It was a fun time. Might have some pictures up on the blog. You can check it out at goingcast.com forward slash blog. But for now, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. It's time for Songs of the Week. And this week, we got some haste in your jams, including the cover that, uh, you know, I always like to put together with my acoustic guitar and me. Also, if you hear a noise in the background, my fan's on. It's like 87 degrees, so you come in some slack. Anyway, the first song I want to talk about is the first song by this particular artist. I know I've been kind of jonesing on his, on his groove for a while now, but, I, I you know, we, I got a couple of covers of his that I've done. So we're going to talk about uh, him for a little while. And that's fucking Bruce Springsteen. And the first song on his first album, Greetings from Ashbury Park, New Jersey, is called Blinded by the Light, which was later covered by uh, Manfred Mann's Earth Band. You know, that version was uh, was pretty popular. But, you know, I want to I wanna give props to, uh, to Springsteen because it has that moment where there's that bit of the song where he's just kind of singing and singing and singing and the words and the music are kind of building throughout like this like little 45 second like 
build and it's uh it's really cool and it's iconic springsteen you know some really strong lyrical power is coming into this song so let's just take a real quick listen to my version of blinded by the light as originally performed by spring brewstein some brimstone baritone anti-cyclone rolling stone preaching from the east he said a death throw on the dictaphone hit it on the funny bone and that's what they expected at least some new moon chaperone was standing in the corner Next is the opening track to a musical I will talk about next week called School of Rock, and it is called When I Climb to the Top of Mount Rock, featuring Alex Brightman, produced by some people, and uh, it's it's pretty good. Uh, I enjoy it because it, it kind of has this fun driving feel. I wish the whole musical was songs like this. Uh, again, I'll get more into it uh, next week, but it's it's a decent song, and uh, you know what? It kind of pumps me up, so I put it on the playlist. And if you have a song that kind of pumps you up, and you want to put it on the Goyamcast Song of the Week playlist, there's lots of ways you can let me know about these songs. You can email me at goyamcast@gmail.com. You can use the contact page at goyamcast.com, and you can post on it on the brand new Going Upcast Facebook page. Just look up Goyamcast on Facebook, and you'll see uh, I'll have like a post or something. You got a song of the week? Post suggestions here, and then you can just post suggestions there and we'll just start pulling from there um yeah really excited about it anyway let's move on to the next thing in the podcast the latest in a long-running franchise of incredible action movies has finally hit theaters fast and furious presents hobbs and shaw Y'all might remember when I was talking about the Fast and Furious movies not that long ago. I'd seen the first three films, and uh, I'm still on my pursuing efforts to see all the other fucking movies. But, brand new Fast and Furious movie hit the fucking theaters, and I decided to go give it a look-see. And I'm here to tell you that I fucking loved it. (laughs) It's a dumb action movie with a lot of heart. Surprising amount of heart. Um, When it's funny, it's funny. When the action's popping, the action's popping. And when it slows down and tries to tell you an actual story, it's pretty good. Like, let's be honest. They're not going to fucking blow your mind with some kind of intensive conversation about whatever. But it does talk about copies of or topics like, um, I say guppies? I don't fuck. It talks about topics like uh, what it means to be human, um, f- the importance of family, uh, trust in your fellow man. Like, it's got some good shit in there. And it's got The Rock. <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds. Who, and fucking Kevin Hart. Like, there's some there's some fun cameos in this movie I wasn't expecting. So that's very fun. Um, it's a PG-13 film, so there's not a lot in the way of blood. Um, it has one F-bomb, and it fucking uses it amazing. Every PG-13 movie has the chance to say fuck once. And I think this movie has probably the best usage of the word fuck uh, when it is down to those kind of restrictions. 
Um, they get away with a couple of others, but it's, it's like, you know, it's like mouthing through soundproof glass and stuff like that. But yeah, action sequences are great. The movie really takes off when, um, they go to Samoa and there's just like fucking Roman Reigns is there just chilling and the rock's like, what's up? Actually, I don't think they ever actually communicate, but Roman Reigns is there. Um, he's a wrestler as well, which I thought was highly amusing. Um, just real quick. It's, it's essentially, uh, there's, there's a, there's a, there's, uh, Idris Elba who works for this organization that believes in, um, uh, biologic, uh, enhancements, uh, via like machinery, basically augmenting the human persona in order to become the next evolutionary step in the chain. That's kind of what this horror organization is about. And they want to get this, like this world ending virus to eliminate the weak of humanity so that the strong will thrive. That's kind of the whole, the whole, uh, bit and caboodle. And, um, uh, Shaw's sister injects herself with the virus to keep it out of the hands of the evil people. And so they've got this timeline, like they've got 72 hours to get the virus out of her system or else she's going to, uh, fucking die. And then everyone's going to die because the virus then goes airborne and kills everybody. And so it becomes this kind of like, you know, we got to get this machine. We, oh, the machine's broken. We got to go to this dude to fix the machine. All this shit kicks off and it's, it's fucking great. It, uh, it'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. Um, it will make you cry. I know. Shocker. Didn't expect that, but yeah, absolutely. Got me, got me a couple of times with some, with some good heart humor bits. So I was very, very pleased with that. And I don't know. I, I he has to have it in down in his contract. Um, although this was also a seven bucks production, which I believe is like the rocks movie company. I'm pretty sure it's, it's his, it's his company. So every time I've seen the rock in a movie, the following things occur. Number one, he's going to do the eyebrow thing. I love it. He'll do it in every movie. He did it in the Scorpion King. He did it in Moana. He's done it in every fucking movie I've seen him in. He'll do the eyebrow thing. Number two, there will be a character in the movie that will make a reference to how big the rock is. The reliance of like, it looks like, you know, you could lift a mountain. It's just like all these, all these great lines are talking about how fucking huge the rock is. It's in every fucking movie he's in, which leads me to think that there was a, there was this idea I had a while back where it's like, if you were to take an, um, an actor, an actress, a performer, whatever, um, and every movie they're in was all tied together in the same connected universe. Who has the best movie universe? It might be The Rock. Because The Rock plays the same fucking character in every movie. And that character is, hey, I'm The Rock. There's no other movie star like that. You know? Like, Tom Cruise a little bit. A little bit, Tom Cruise. Like, every time you see Tom Cruise in a movie, he's probably going to ride a motorcycle. He's probably going to do some running. He's probably going to do some stupid-ass stunt. Like, you know, he's got his own checklist of, of of notes to hit in a film in order for you to be like ah it's a tom cruise movie but the rock he just kind of every movie he's in gets better because of his presence like his original inclusion in the fast and the furious franchise was seen as an effort to revamp the franchise because they needed the you know they needed somebody to bring fresh blood to the to the franchise and so they brought in the rock and apparently the rock and vin diesel fucking hate each other and that's you know probably part of the the um part of that whole situation 
Because, you know, Vin Diesel, you know, you're there since the beginning. You're coming to make the fifth movie in this franchise. And the producers go, you're not big enough. We're going to get The Rock. No, that's got to be, it's got to be a little disheartening. Wouldn't you say? But, you know, numbers don't lie. And the fucking Fast and Furious franchise fucking picked right the hell up when The Rock showed up. He's a game changer. He's, he's, he is charisma incarnate. And that's what this movie's all about. He is, he is on point. It's The Rock at his best. And, and I love it. It's also the funniest I've ever seen Kevin Hart be. Um, since like his original stand-up when I thought he was the fucking shit. And then he did the whole Dane Cook thing and got way up inside his own asshole about how funny he was. Um, which happens to, happens to the best of us. So it's all right. Um, this was also, I'm pretty sure, the first time I've ever seen Jason Statham in a movie. And he did all right. You know, he did he did pretty well. It's hard to act against The Rock. It's hard to compete with with that presence. Um, but I think he held his own. Uh, there were definitely a couple of awesome moments, a couple of cool shots um, that Statham had that, in my head, they're fucking on the same line. And that's kind of the whole crux of the movie, you know? It's a, it's a movie about brotherhood. And um, and working together despite how you dislike each other, it's it's great. In fact, like the the scene where that really comes together, it's probably like the best scene in the movie. Uh, movie's a solid eight out of ten. There's a couple of things. Movie's far from perfect, but you know what? Who cares? It's fine. That's that's all you need. I can nitpick the movie to the end of days, but it won't negate the fact that the movie is just it's a good romp and ride, and I would highly recommend y'all go see it. So go see Hobbs and Shaw. Um, normal theater is fine. IMAX would probably be, you know, cool. Uh, I don't think there's anything to be gained from seeing it in like 3D. So normal theater, totally good. Totally good. Also, there were nine fucking trailers, which is too many. So, yes. Also, I'm sick of seeing that fucking Star Wars trailer. We get it. Star Wars is coming out. We already have our tickets. Although I don't think they've come out yet. But it's, it doesn't matter. We're all going to go see Star Wars. Just stop showing it. Or at least release a different fucking trailer so we can see something different. Um, anyway, now I'm just so boxing. Let's move on to the next thing. Fuck it. Finally, this week, I want to talk about something that I have been trying to do that has actually made me pretty goddamn happy. So I wanted to share it with y'all as maybe maybe a suggestion, maybe something to kind of strive for. There is that old old saying, like, do one thing you've never done, like one new thing a day, right? Do that. Um, naturally, that's not very clear. It's not very, like, well, that could be anything. Like, I've never eaten an apricot halfway up the stairs before. Maybe I'll do that. Like, sure, you've never done that before. That's a dumb, like, you know. What is that? What is that? It means nothing. So what I've done is I've kind of taken that general idea and applied it to the media I consume. So like, for example, I was listening to the Adventure Zone balance arc for the third time. I made it decently in over the course of like, you know, like I made it halfway through over the course of like a week and a half and I was enjoying it. But there was, a, there was this bit of my mind where it's just like, I felt like I was stagnant. I felt like I wasn't going anywhere. And it's because I've been down that road before. And I was like, hmm. And I was watching Scrubs. And I was like, really enjoying watching Scrubs again. But I've seen Scrubs a million times and I felt like I was stagnant. 
and it's because I've consumed this media already. This is this is these are roads I've journeyed down. These are adventures I've had, and so what I'm doing now is I am trying to consume media I haven't consumed before. There are millions of shows across multiple different platforms. There are dozens of movies. There are millions of hours of music, of musicals, of all sort of games to play. Like all this shit that I've not experienced because I'm too busy wasting my time re-experiencing things I've already heard and watched and played. And I'm like, enough is enough. So I canceled my Hulu subscription. Well, it didn't. Really, I wasn't really paying for it because it was like built into Spotify Premium. But I'm not watching Hulu anymore, and I stopped listening to the Adventures of Balance so I could get caught up on Amnesty. And I'm trying to consume new media because I have the memories of all the old media, and it's always gonna be there. But if I'm always experiencing shit I've already experienced, I'm not really gonna grow as a person. You know what I mean? Like, I listened to Hades Town. Uh, this week we spent half an hour talking about musicals and that was brand new to me and i had never heard that before and even though it was kind of a bummer i feel like i'm a richer person for having experienced that you know that's that was a culture i enjoyed and i listened to and now i can tell other people about and that's awesome to me that makes me super happy that i that i experienced that and now i want to listen to more other musicals that I've never listened to, like the School of Rock musical or the Beetlejuice musical. Like, there's a whole fucking mess of shit. I've got dozens of hours of Adventure Zone and Critical Role to get caught up on that I've never heard before. Like, all this fresh media out there, and I'm wasting my time listening to shit, playing shit, watching shit I've already seen. So my plea to all of you is to experience new media. There's nothing wrong with re-watching, re-reading, re-playing things, especially if you love it. That's totally fine. Just make sure that's not the only thing you do. Because if you always experience the same things, you're never gonna go anywhere. You're gonna be stagnant, your life will be put in park. And that's just where you're gonna remain. I'm, that's, you know, not exactly what I wanna do on this world. And in that spirit, thank you all very much for listening to this brand new episode of the Going Upcast, consuming media you've never consumed before. Tomorrow night, there will be even more media for you to consume with some new Harry Potter chapter. And we'll have a brand new episode next Tuesday for you to consume as well. Thank you all very much for listening, and I'll talk to you later. See you next time.